0: And I remember thinking, not that I was going to die from the disease of alcoholism, but that I was going to live another 30 or 40 years drunk every night in this hell.
1: Welcome to Episode 7 of the Recovery Edgecast. My name is Alfredo, and I'm an alcoholic. And today I'm sitting with my good friend, Lori. I met Lori at Trudgers in Denver, probably about five years ago, I bet, when I was first stumbling into the rooms. And I always enjoyed your shares, Lori. And um, I always walked away with a a great nugget of information to help me out, even though I'm a slow learner. But I really enjoyed um, some of the things that you said. And it's a real treat for me to have you here today. Um, why don't you uh, introduce yourself, maybe your sobriety date and home group?
0: Oh yeah, hi, it's great to be here today, Alfredo. Thank you so much. Um, I have enjoyed uh, watching you move forward into sobriety as well. That's been great. Thanks. Um, uh, My name is Lori and I am an alcoholic. Maybe I already said that. Uh, My sobriety date is June 20th, 1994. And uh, my home group is uh, Happy Treasures down in Denver, Colorado. And we meet uh, Monday through Friday at the Trinity United Methodist Church at 18th and Broadway. And we also have a Zoom call these days. So that's pretty awesome.
1: So give us a quick background of your life and how you grew up.
0: Um, I was born in Niwot, or not born, but I was raised in Niwot, Colorado and i so i'm from a little farming town um uh i my father was a heavy drinker probably an alcoholic and a kind of a rageaholic and that was a scary uh, way to to be raised i was also raised with a lot of love and i appreciated that so it's uh, the confusing the confusing world of alcoholism mm. lots of love and kindness and lots of craziness
1: Did you grow up most of your life in Colorado then, or in the NYWOD area?
0: I did. I did. Um, My parents moved us to Denver from El Paso, Texas, when I was like five or something. Um, They moved around a lot when I was a young kid. Um, I had an, an elder brother who was quite ill, and so they were trying to find help for him he had an autoimmune disease before we really knew what that was and nobody could figure out what was making him so sick. Mm. And they finally figured out that getting him out of a human climate helped a lot. Um, Cause he had a lot of allergies and respiratory things. So, yeah.
1: And how were you in school? Like what type of activities were you into back then?
0: Everything.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: yeah, yeah. I was very athletic. Um, uh, my father wouldn't let me be in sports because he was um, sexist and didn't believe that, that girls should play sports. Um, and we thought about that until I got into high school. And when I was in high school, the first time I picked up a, a, ten, a tennis racket, I was um, a freshman or a, so- a sophomore. And then um, the next year, my junior year, I went to state in tennis. So I had never played before (laughs) that. And that was also, that was in Boulder County. So there was the Boulder County Country Club. You know, I was playing against some girls who had played their entire lives and had coaches and all of this sort of thing. So
1: there are some great athletes that come out of Boulder. I was in track and I raced against them and I was like, no chance. I got no shot. (laughs) I know.
0: I know. I mean, it's a world-class training area. It's amazing. Yeah. And then I, I was and student council, and I was on the newspaper and in the chorus, you know, I was just the superstar, straight A's and all that sort of thing. Wow,
1: that's awesome. (laughs) All right.
0: Well, I also went to a tiny school, so it was easy to achieve. I mean, my graduating class was 180 people, so it was easy to stand out. (laughs) I
1: think it's easier to be involved in a smaller school. Yeah. My class had like 60 people. So oh, man. Yeah. yeah, so it's very, we're very similar. I was like in track, I was on the newspaper team, student council at some point, mm-hmm. really get these chances to like, yeah. me- mess yeah. up a lot of people's lives if you're me. <laughs> Just get involved and be a, yeah. be a crazy yeah. guy. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, I think you're warmed up. So how about you tell us um what it was like, what happened and what it's like now?
0: Sure. Um, Like I said, I think, you know, my father is probably an alcoholic and drinking was um, a part of our life all the time. Um, We uh, we had people over for drinking parties. Um, He didn't get uh, roaringly drunk all the time, but he drank almost every night. And it was pretty, pretty um, not crazy, but his personality changed when he drank. He would become um, jovial and loving and fawning, or he would just become pissed. And so that was, you know, confusing. And um, I had an uncle who uh, moved to Basalt, Colorado um, in like 1957 or something like that. And he was a drug dealer up there. And uh, he gave us pot when I was like 12, um, he gave me cocaine when I was 17. And um, I got to come into AA and learn that I would have found those things on my own, that it wasn't his fault. And I didn't uh, have anybody to blame but myself. But the reason I told that part of the story is that I got started really young. Um, I, As a little kid, uh, when my parents would have these drinking parties, I would watch the rooms to see if there were empty rooms in the house where people were partying in a living room, dining room, den, kitchen. And when there was nobody in the room, I would go in there and drink whatever was in the glasses just around. (laughs) And that was when I was little, you know. (laughs) So I say I started drinking when I was 12, but probably younger. (laughs) Um, But yeah, when I was 12, um, I really started looking for it and seeking it out. Um, When I was 13, um, there was uh, these big puffy down coats were the thing. And I was a really small kid. And so they bought me a, a small, but it was really big on me. And my dad had a beer refrigerator in, in the garage, right? Lots of people have that in our, in our circles. I mean, you have to have one because then that's the only way you can have enough beer, right? The whole fridge was full of beer. So, and there were a couple other things in there, but I would go into the garage and take a couple beers and put them in this huge coat and go walk the dog you know, and I'm like 13 at this time, at this point, yeah, Um, so then uh, it just accelerated, I drank and partied a lot in high school, but also, like we talked about earlier, I was kind of a a high achiever, did really well in school, just kind of did everything, (laughs) partied and drank and did well in school and sang in the choir and went did sports and you know I was just a really busy kid Um, then I went off to college Um, my parents sent me off I had a the older brother I talked to you about who was quite ill Um, he was he was hospitalized for most of the first 19 years of his life and He had to teach himself to walk like three different times because he was bedridden for so long. And he finally got out when he was 19. He went off to college and he just kind of went a little crazy. And who wouldn't? Um, He just partied all the time. And my parents, I was 17 when I graduated. I actually graduated high school when I was 16. Um, But I asked the the counselor who told me that not to tell my mom. (laughs) Um, and I would just take classes that didn't contribute to my graduation anymore. So I could, you know, stay in school for another year um, because she would have sent me off to college at 16 and I didn't want to do that just so she could tell everybody that her super smart daughter went to college at 16. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so so, I, so we kept that under wraps, but I did graduate when I was 17 and I moved in with this brother and he was, he was 22. He was 17, 18, yeah, he was five years older than me. And uh, we drank. Um, he drank all the time. And my parents asked me to help um, help him stay healthy, help him eat appropriately and, you know, all things like that, which, you know, welcome to Al-Anon, sweetheart.
1: <laughs> no doubt. Wow. You're
0: 17, go save your 22-year-old brother. Wow. So I did that. I cooked and I cleaned and he never came home.
1: Wow. You really, really went for it. You tried.
0: You betcha. Yeah. I loved him. Nice. Yeah. And so I gave him my best shot and um, I ended up pretty much um, paying for pretty much everything. He wrecked one, my car. I mean, I'm 17. I don't have a car. You know, <laughs> I loved him to death, but he was uh, just really irresponsible in his alcoholism. Hmm. Um So I talked to my parents and they had him move out and I stayed in the little place that they had for us. And um, at that point they had drown night on Thursday nights. Uh, I went to school up in Greeley, wanted to be a teacher, an English teacher. And so drinking started Thursday night, went Friday night, kind of rolled into Saturday a little bit, sometimes Sunday. You know, and it just kept accelerating in that way. You know, it felt weird for a while. Like, really, it's Thursday night. And I did this last week. Is this okay? You know, and then it was like, yay, it's Thursday night. (laughs) Mm. Let's go to drown night. Mm. You know, or it was like a dollar, I don't know, a dollar to get in. And all you could drink beer or something really crazy. But, um, and then uh, that kept, my drinking kept accelerating and accelerating. I was doing fine in college. I thought college was really easy. Um, So luckily my drinking didn't get in the way of that. But what happened was by the time I was 22 years old, it had accelerated to the point that um, I drank every single night. I went to bed drunk every night. Mm. Um, And that didn't, uh, that didn't feel good. The first, uh, I had a breakup and I drank and drank and drank. And then the anniversary of the breakup came around And I realized that I had drank every single night for a year. And that felt really bad.
1: Oh, I was about to ask, is this a one-year anniversary?
2: It was, huh?
0: I get it. That was how I knew that it had been a year, that I'd gone to bed drunk every night. Um, So I had that experience. I was like, oh, this isn't good. I'm only 22 years old. I don't think this is okay.
1: What suffered because of that? Did you notice any... Like things that you were into just kind of take a back seat during this time? Or, I mean, you're 22, you have all the energy in the world, so maybe not.
0: I know. I know. It really didn't. I rode my bike all over the place. I worked. I still got, mm-hmm. you know, straight A's in college, yeah. you know. So not so much, except for just how I felt about going to bed drunk every night. That didn't feel good. Yeah, yeah. And what I think was worse was another year went around and that anniversary came around and I was 23. And I thought, wow, I just went to bed drunk every night for two years and I didn't care. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: And that's how that changed. It just didn't matter. Um, I didn't care enough about myself at that point. And that's what two years of going to bed drunk every night will do to a person, you know? So
1: now you're 23 at this point, right?
2: Yeah. Okay.
0: And I had gone, my first AA meeting that I went to was when I was 22. Um, this woman that I broke up with said, Go to AA or I'm out of here. So I went to one meeting. <laughs> like, I went to AA.
1: <laughs> yep. All good.
0: Da, 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 da. Yeah. <laughs> so I went to my AA meeting. I walked in. I'm 22. I've got, you know, blonde hair, to, you know, clear down my back. And there's a bunch of, you know, ancient cowboys in this room, smoking cigarettes. And, you know, they were all of, you know, now in hindsight, I'm like, they were probably 35 and 40 years old, but
1: I thought they were. Old people.
0: Good God. What am I doing here? Yeah. I did not fit it. It wasn't going to work. You know, they, they could never understand me or whatever. Um, Now I know also hindsight is 2020 and they would have been just great for me. You Mm. know, I could have gotten sober with them or anyone else because they understood me better than uh, most people I met on the street. Mm. So um, then I was 23 and I got a DUI and that sucked. Um, And then they, yeah, that sucked because I was um, a good girl. I was really a good girl. I'd never been arrested. I didn't steal stuff. I didn't, you know, I didn't do anything. One time I took this guy's, I took some pot from a guy. Um, and I felt so bad about it next, the next day. And, you know, my brother had crashed my car, so I didn't have a car. So I walked two miles over to his house and put it back in his house and then left and walked back (laughs) because I felt so bad for stealing, you know, which of course I should, you know, I thought that was an appropriate response to an inappropriate behavior.
1: Yeah. Wow.
0: Yeah. So getting arrested at 23 was really out of character for me. Mm. Um, I had to call my dad, kind of in the late at night, and he had to come pick me up. And um, I lost my driver's license for a year.
1: Did they take you to detox or jail?
0: Um, they took me to jail. This was in Boulder County, mm. and it was in the late '80s. Um, and I talked to a friend about it later. She was kind of this wild person who got in fights all the time. And she was telling me about her jail experiences. And she, she would be put in this jail with, you know, 10 or 15 other women. And it was crazy. Wow. And and I said, they put me in a cell all by myself. And she said, that's crazy on a Saturday night. She's like, I think they just looked at you and were like, that one's not going to survive this experience. Mm. <laughs> Wow. We cannot put her in a room full, of, you know, of fifteen other women, and Mm-mm. I just passed out and came to in the in the same little cell.
1: Yeah. You know? <laughs> so, um. So you got your DUI. You called your dad. Did you? Were you having a self-realization at this point, or tell me what happens next?
0: Um. No, that wasn't that wasn't happening yet. I was still mm-hmm. running in the victim row. Ro- Mm-hmm. role of the victim. Um, <clears throat> oh, you know, nobody else gets caught. They were picking on me. I realized that I should not have been driving. I did realize mm-hmm. that. But I also grew up in the country where, you know, there's nothing but farm that you're driving by and very few intersections, very few cars. And so it was kind of shocking to get a DUI, you know, in Boulder County in the late 80s. But the judge said you can't drive for a year and um as a good little alcoholic I said all right I'm not going to quit drinking I'll quit driving made Mm -hmm. perfect sense so I kept drinking but I didn't drive for a year I did what I was told I was terrified of going to um going to jail again he told me if he caught me again he'd send me to jail for a year or whatever it was he could do at the time and he also sent me to alcohol classes which I see in you know, in hindsight, I could see that the guy who did them um, was probably an AA because of some of the things that he said. Um, but I showed up at this alcohol class as as required. I had to take a bus to get there. Um, I worked in a restaurant at the time, and the guy, one of the guys who worked there, was an active alcoholic, and he would want to get me ready for alcohol class. So, out come the shots. <laughs> Mm -hmm. okay go to your class you know
2: wow
1: okay it makes sense
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah it made perfect sense i had to do my homework before i showed up to class Mm -hmm. so (laughs) and i'll tell you what um i had to ride the bus to get there and riding a bus drunk you know public transportation drunk that's really unpleasant Mm -hmm. really unpleasant um i wouldn't do that again if i if i you know god willing then i get to stay sober Mm -hmm. um so i showed up at alcohol class and I was the youngest person in my class. I was the smallest person in my class. I was the only woman in my class. And I had the highest BAC.
2: Whoop, whoop. Whoa. It's <laughs> <That's laughs>
1: like a badge of honor at that moment. Like,
0: I yeah. know. So cool. Yeah, because he made us like stand up. And you could sit down when he got to your number. And I just stood there and stood mm-hmm. there and stood there or something like that. Yeah. It's just, wow. OK. <laughs> All right. Yeah. And I thought, well, I've been a lot drunker than that.
1: <laughs> wow. So how did you feel when at, at that point when you got like, when you were being compared with everybody else there, like you were kind of comparing yourself?
0: There was that weird kind of, I'm sort of embarrassed because I'm a nice girl and I'm kind of proud of myself because I'm a badass. Mm-hmm. What the heck does that, what?
1: <laughs> no, I get it, I get it.
0: You know, I could die. With the, the BAC that I had, I could have died.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, but that's how we are. We're, we're of two minds all the time. And that's what I love about being sober is that I know I know who I am. I know how I feel and I know what I think about just about everything.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And that only came from getting sober and being um, being an active alcoholic. I was confused about everything every day. You know, mm. it was just hard. It was hard. So, I went on, uh, went on my merry way. Didn't quit drinking because of the DUI. I just quit driving, uh, and I had to, I had to go to bed drunk um, for th- uh, four more years.
2: Mm.
0: Yeah. So I, except for a little period where, um, I tried to stay sober and I, I white knuckled thirty days. I was. I went to bed drunk every every single night for five years. By the time I was twenty seven,
1: why did you white um, knuckle for thirty days?
0: I ran into the woman who um, told me to get sober, and she hadn't had a drink in eight months. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh, maybe I could do that. Mm. And I never. I hadn't seen her since we broke up. I hadn't, and I never saw her again. It was like this little message, you mm. know. I didn't pick it up and run with it, but I tried and it was really hard. It was Mm. really hard not to drink. And of course, when I finished that 30 day uh, period, I rewarded myself with massive amounts of alcohol. And I was like, I remember I was like falling down drunk for two weeks Mm. and just okay.
1: (laughs) Yeah, had some making up to do.
0: (laughs) I know. Yeah. I, I have, I have done my penance or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, And I thought I should probably get back to my go to bed drunk every night, but not falling down drunk. (laughs) Yeah. So that's what I tried to do. And then when I was 27 years old, I realized it had been five years that I had gone to bed drunk night after night after night. And um, I was so despondent over that, that um, suicide occurred to me. It hadn't been a constant companion in my life, but that thought occurred to me, and I thought, whoa, Um, and my brother had given me a gun just to be safe, and I had separated the bullets from the gun because we had little toddlers and stuff back then Um, in the family. I didn't, but so I was walking around the house. I was drunk, of course. I had the gun. I was looking for the bullets, and I found a bottle of scotch. And I thought that seems like a better idea. (laughs) It was expensive scotch. So I thought, you know, I think I'll just drink this instead of looking for these bullets anymore because I can't find them. And I don't actually want to kill myself. I just want this pain to stop (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) the pain of being an active alcoholic. Um, So the next day I, you know, I see that now as, as a bit of a God story, you know, first I'm, met my old girlfriend, and then I found a bottle of scotch instead of bullets. I mean, it's a little crazy, but I've heard other people tell stories of when they found a bottle and were, were able to end the pain for that night and then got sober shortly thereafter. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what happened to me. I found that bottle and it kind of saved my life. Wow. Um, so the next day I said... I have not been gone to bed sober for so long. I just want one night, just just one night.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I think that would help. So I walked, to, um, I called AA and I asked them, you know, where could I go to a meeting? And I walked myself into AA and they were so kind to me. They were so kind. And I, my very first meeting, I came in sometime, you know, 10 o'clock, let's say in the morning on a Saturday or whatever. And I sat there, it was a club that they sent me to, and I sat there until the last meeting, the candlelight meeting, you know, and around noon, I was like, I'm kind of hungry. Is it okay if I leave and go get some food? (laughs) And they're like, yeah, (laughs) you know, because I didn't know how it worked. And I was like, is it all right if I, okay okay, I'll come back. You know, and they're like, okay, that's a good idea, honey. <laughs> <laughs> and some guy took me aside and he's like, do you have any booze in your house? I'm like, yeah. It's <laughs> like, well, when you go home and then come back, go home and pour out all the booze. And I had a case of beer. Mm. and That was hard because I did. was poor, of course. You did it? <laughs> yeah, I did it. I poured out that whole case. Wow. Um, yeah. And then I went back to the meeting and sat there until the candlelight meeting. And then I was like, I think I can go to bed sober. Wow. And I did. I went yeah. home and I went to sleep. Nice. And, yeah, and I came back the
1: next day. And you've been sober ever since? Or what nope. did that look like after you got you know a day sober and you knew that something worked? At least you got a, uh, a night, you know?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Okay.
0: And they kept, they said, keep coming back, you know, keep uh-huh. coming back, keep coming back. And I kept coming back and my life started looking a lot better. Um, you know, I started feeling better. I could think, I started thinking about, um, Hey, I could go to law school. I bought a house um, three years in, you know, I, kind of drifted away from meetings because I made this big plan to get into law school. And what it looked like for me was, you know, grace. Um, I was given a lot of grace and I didn't realize it at the time. Um, I received this grace and I went to meeting after meeting after meeting, and I didn't understand that you can't keep it unless you give it away. And I didn't get the, I didn't get a sponsor. I didn't work the steps. And eventually I didn't stay sober.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I got close to four years and I was in law school. I didn't drink for my first six months. And then there was, um, there was a holiday party at one of the professor's houses. And I really wanted to go to this party. And I thought, hmm, this, this is what my alcoholism told me. You grew up in a drinking family the point was, the purpose was always drink to get drunk. You never tried social drinking and you should go to this party and try it. So I went to the party and they had fancy, you know, crystal glasses and all this stuff. And I got a drink and then I ended up standing in the kitchen because that's where the beer was. <laughs> because, you know, it didn't come fast enough in the living room and the, where the fancy people were.
2: Right, right. And
0: then I... Realized I needed to leave because I had so much to drink and didn't want to embarrass myself and went straight to the liquor store and um picked up a I think I tried to just get a 12 pack, so it wouldn't be too crazy. Took that home and finished that. You know, when I walked into AA um when I was 27, I was barely a hundred pounds. Yeah.
2: Wow.
0: And yeah. Um and I'm not a. Some women are 100 pound women. That's the appropriate weight for them. That was. That's not the appropriate weight for me.
2: Mm. Mine's
0: about 20 pounds more. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. So, 20 to 30, depending. Um, so, for me to say, yeah, I could drink a case and a half of beer. That was at 100 pounds.
2: Um, wow,
1: is it a case yeah. and a half like 100 pounds? Jeez. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, probably. I'm looking at yeah. the fraction. I'm trying to do like the math in my head and like, how I much, per- that's a lot.
0: That's a good- I know. I, I know. It. That's and- insane. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Okay. So you had the major relapse. Yep. Um, what changed for you after that?
0: I was super, super, super blessed. Um, I had that time in sobriety to realize how much better life could be. And, I only got, only got drunk five or six times in a six month period. And I realized that I was going to fail out of law school, which I'd never failed out. I never failed. I have never even gotten rarely a B. <laughs> you
2: know? Yeah.
0: Yeah. So that was, that, that scared me. And I was putting myself through law school. I was paying for it. Um, so I was, I had a foster kid at the time. And I was cooking him dinner and I was drinking a beer and I just remember I was flipping the burgers and I remember thinking not that I was going to die from the disease of alcoholism, but that I was going to live another 30 or 40 years drunk every night in this hell. Mm. Because that's what it's like for my family. Um, we don't die <laughs> young, but we live drunk for a really long time. mm
2: mm-hmm.
0: I might've been wrong, but that, that, that's what scared me. That's what, that was my first step. I realized it just, it wasn't going to get any better and it was going to go on
2: mm-hmm. for much
0: longer than I could bear it.
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: So yeah, um, after six months of a few drinks, um, my last drunk, I took this little foster son out for, it was my birthday. I took him out for my birthday. We had, we had dinner together and he said, Hey mom, he was like ten, you know. You get a free drink on your birthday.
1: <laughs> I thought amazing. Mm-hmm. What harm
0: could be? Yeah. Well, I mean, he was from the streets, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, what harm could be? And I remember um, I ordered this raspberry beer. I'm like, dang, that's two things I love. So let's mm. try that. And you know, I don't remember if it was good. Um, and then I was um, drunk for four days. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Day and night. And that was when I had the realization, you know, when I was cooking the hamburgers was that this is it, baby. This is it. You're going to be drunk every day. (laughs) And when I came into AA in 1990, I was drunk every single night. And towards the end, I was drunk Saturday and Sunday starting in the morning. And then I had a little sobriety and then I went back out and then I realized that very very soon my drinking was going to start monday morning and tuesday morning and what you know Mm -hmm. that those boundaries just weren't gonna i couldn't hold them Mm.
1: yeah um making rules for ourselves with along with the combination of willpower um never worked for me so i get i get what you're saying
2: yeah yeah
1: So, so then you knew where to go at this point. Um, mm-hmm. Did you feel like you just kind of picked up where you left off, or how was your reintroduction into AA at this point? Like, because you knew what you were doing wasn't necessarily working, so something had to change. How did you approach your program at this point, if well, you can call it a program?
0: Yeah. Well, I ne- I never worked the steps. Yeah. Um, so it was kind of this interesting place. Um, when I walked in after being drunk for five, really from 12 to 27, um, I was really physically sick, very sick, um, and skinny and whatever, and, you know, spiritually broken. Um, but in those four years I had healed quite a bit. And then I didn't drink very long, six months. And I didn't like end up hospital, you know, it wasn't It was as controlled as an alcoholic could keep it. (laughs) Let's Mm -hmm. just say that. So when I walked back in, I wasn't really as sick as I had been the first time around. And I had the benefit of um, having lived several years sober. So when I first walked in, I was like, how do I celebrate my birthday? How do I do Christmas? How do I do softball season? (laughs) You know, Mm -hmm. I knew how to do all those things. So I had that benefit. But I had not worked any of the steps or gotten a sponsor. And so I was at ground zero on a Mm -hmm. program. So I got a sponsor right away and did absolutely everything she told me because I was afraid. (laughs) I didn't want to drink and I didn't want to die. And those were my two options without some help.
1: And so you were able to maintain some sobriety at this point, I take it, after coming to this point in your life. Um, what's it been like from then to now, then um, your program and, you know, what are you, what's your experience like now? And how do you feel today? <laughs> like, I guess maybe we're at the point of uh, what's it like now? We know what's what happened, it like
0: now? What's it like now? What it is like now is amazing and beautiful and challenging and spiritual. Um, you know, this program gave me a life and and a way to live it. Um, You heard about my first step. Um, My second step has been very uh, relevant to me right now um, because that is the step of hope. And I did not have that as an active alcoholic. Um, And I realized recently that in this particular in history during this pandemic that hope is really important for us you know that this too shall pass that we will get through this that there is a solution like it says in the book i don't know what it is but there was a solution for active alcoholism for me um and i think there's a solution for all of us uh, as we get through this crazy period of talking to everyone we know on computers (laughs) right (laughs) um So second step is really important to me, um, just because of the principle behind it. Um, Third step, uh, you know, we turned our will and our life over to the care of God as we understood him. And, you know, also just to answer your question, ever since I came back in the second time I've been sober, so 26 years. Wow. Um, Thank you, God. Um, So my third step, you know, what the heck does that mean the first time you're doing it? I have no idea. Um, so people told me, well, how you do the third step is you do the rest of the steps. (laughs) And I thought, well, I can do that. Okay. I can do that. That's how you turn your will in your life over to the care of God. Mm -hmm. Um, and now the third step for me is, um, of course I've done the steps, uh, numerous times in that period of sobriety. And for me, (laughs) it's, um, uh, a relation, development of a relationship with a power greater than myself. Um, so I moved from a belief that was useless. You know, I believed in Santa Claus when I was little. You know, <laughs> Then I believed in God, okay. Um, and in my second round of sobriety here, um, I've developed a relationship with a power greater than myself. Um, and I've turned myself over to the care of that power. And that power does actually care. Um, that's what I feel on a daily basis Uh, so that's pretty cool Um, also then it also morphs into sure you believe in god or power greater than yourself you have a relationship do you trust that power do you and that's a that's a daily question
1: Hmm. faith
0: yes yeah one of my one of my favorite little parts in the book is on page 14 i think um Faith without without works is dead, mm-hmm. right? Right. For if he does not work, he will surely drink, and if he drinks, he will surely die. For us, it is just like that. And that, for me, that was my mantra for a long time. Lori, work it, give it away, or drink and die. Period.
1: <laughs> Thinking back now, if. You could give yourself some advice and I'm I guess I'm looking back at your story here at day one, Lori, or um, at any point in time that you think you could have used that advice the most. what would you what type of advice would have you given yourself?
0: Work the steps.
1: <laughs> perfect, perfect.
0: I would have told her that um, get a sponsor. The first year is for you. The rest are for AA. And I was stuck in the years for me. You know, (laughs) I just kept showing up and asking you guys to help me stay sober and didn't do the work, you know.
2: Hmm.
0: Um, And then second time around, I did all of those things. I did all of those things. Um, And my advice today and also to, you know, 27-year-old Lori and the Lori who got sober 26 years ago, be gentle with yourself. Just try just try. You have no idea how to do this. So I got a sponsor who um, and just people in the meetings who were gentle with me and taught me how to do that.
1: Well, thank you for sitting down and sharing your story with us today. Thank you. Any final thoughts before we wrap up?
0: Well, first of all, uh, thank you so much for the opportunity to be of service. Um, I hope that something that some word that that my power my higher power put into my mouth today will be of use to someone who uh, might get another day sober so i hope that i hope that it is of use in that way
1: thanks again for joining us on the recovery edgecast big thanks to Lori for giving us her time it was a real pleasure for me I hope you all enjoyed today's episode. And remember, you can find us at recoveryedgecast.com on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Podbean. Subscribe to the podcast so you'll always get our latest episode. Thank you, and we'll see you next time.